0: Thank you, worship team, for that affirmation of what we believe and what God has done. It's a great thing to hold on to. If we've not met, I'm Nathan Brand. I'm the pastor here at Breen Community Church. We're glad you're here to worship with us. And my microphone's having problems here. I'm sorry. Okay. I think that'll work. So we're glad you're here to worship with us, whether you're online or in the back room. We're glad you're here, and I'd like to say, happy Valentine's Day. And to those of you who are married, I want to say this. Don't be cynical. Uh, take this as an opportunity to be proactive in, pers- in pursuing your spouse, being intentional. That's good. good work there, Heath. I like that. Good work. Be proactive and pursue your spouse like you did when you were dating. Return to that. And that will bring some, some, uh, some zip and zeal to your relationship. And for those of you who are single, here's what I want to say to you. Do not let a Hallmark holiday degrade you, make you feel like a second-grade citizen. And I also want to tell you this that romantic relationships are not the be-all, end-all good thing of life. If you go to Judges 16, you'll find a guy named Samson found that it was probably better that he would have been single than him meeting a woman named Delilah. So just keep that in perspective. So uh, with all that, um, I want you to have that kind of view rather than that of what our, our world says. So we are in Luke chapter 21. And last week I asked the question to start up the, the sermon. In all that is happening in our pandemic, what is God doing in this, this time? God doesn't waste anything. I believe one of the things that He is doing is weaning us from this earth, weaning us from putting all of our hope, all of our confidence, all of our, I guess, investment in the future here. Because this world is beautiful, it's created by God, but it is broken. And it's been a rebellion against this God, and God is going to come and redeem it one day. Fully redeem it. But we're not there yet. And this world, as it stands, will not last Forever. All this comes about as Jesus and his disciples are at the temple. And they're admiring the beauty of this structure. The grand, you know, size of these huge limestone blocks that are 40 feet long, maybe 60 feet long. They're huge. And the opulence of how this thing is decorated. It's a source of great national pride, religious pride. And then Jesus... Drops this bomb. Verse 6. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left and everyone will be thrown down. Well, Jesus' disciples can't just leave it left there. They can't let Jesus walk away. They want to know when is this going to be? How is this going to happen? What's going to happen? And remember, all of this is in light of the fact that Jesus is heading to the cross, to the tomb. He'll be raised from the dead. He will go ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And then we who follow him will wait as it is today, even right now. So the whole thing that we looked at last week verses 5 through 19, Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, the instability of the earth, whether it's man-made, through wars and conflicts, or from creation with natural disasters. Jesus talks about persecution that's going to come from religious leaders or even your own family. But then there's also the promise that God will give you wisdom and words when you're caused to stand as his witness and the promise of his protection, where he says, not one hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. It's easy to stop there. It'd be kind of a nice cutoff point. Let's go home and pray. But Jesus has much more to say in this passage because he wants his, his followers not to be anchored in the reality of this life and this world. And he wants us to be ready for his return. So again, we're going to be in chapter 21 of Luke. If you have your Bibles open there, and let me just pray before we dive in. Okay? So Lord, we want to hear from you. You're the one who has redeemed us, has saved us, and you're the one who, within whom all of history is in your hands. And as we await your return, Lord, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found alert. And so, Lord, help us to give us ears to hear what you have to say in your word and help us to respond both in heart, action, and obedience. And, Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Again, this whole can of worms is opened, by Jesus when he talks about the destruction of the temple. But now he takes it one step further talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So the first thing Jesus wants his disciples in the first century to be ready for is the destruction of Jerusalem. Pick it up at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. But let those who are in Judea flee and let those who are in the city get out. And let those who are in the country not enter the city. Well, Jesus' words came to being in 70 AD where the Roman Romans through the, the general Titus surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Strangled it basically and eventually came in and brutally sacked the city. And they stomped out the rebellion that was coming their way. Jesus' warning is, if you're in Judea, get out of town. Flee to the mountains. Don't try and enter the city. Now, from a human standpoint, here's what was going on. The Romans were insisting on greater overreach in having the Caesar at the time being worshipped in the temple, making asking that sacrifices be made to Caesar in the temple because the Roman mantra was Caesar is Lord. They are also taking money from the treasury in the temple, which was only supposed to be set aside for Yahweh, for the living God. So this was idolatry, overreach, and it brought rebellion. On the other hand, from a divine perspective, this was judgment against the city for its corruption and... And revolt against God, His word and His message. In verse 22, Jesus says this, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be for those in those days for a pregnant woman and a nursing mothers. So when this comes, there's not going to be any reprieve or mercy for the most vulnerable. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against the people. They will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. Let's go back to verse 22 again. Punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. Well, sample size from the Old Testament might be Hosea chapter 9 verse 7. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, and the prophet is considered a fool and the inspired person a maniac. Now these words might not necessarily have been unique to the first century. These words were just as applicable when Hosea was writing these things because the prophet's we're considered maniacs, the inspired man, or the prophet's a fool, or inspired man, a maniac. But more specifically, as we drill down, in light of Jesus coming, the God-man, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate Messiah, it's, it's in relation to Jerusalem's rejection of God's Messiah. As we saw earlier in chapter 19, verses 30, excuse me, 43 through 44, Jesus was saying this about Jerusalem as he's about ready to enter it. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankments against you encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize time of God's coming to you. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the result. Now, I want to say this, in case this opens up this can of worms in your heart and your mind. I want to put this fire out. This is no justification for anti-Semitism, okay? You can't say that the Jews are the Christ killers. Because all of humanity put Jesus on the cross. All of our sin put him there. It was a Roman spear that pierced Jesus' eyes. It was Roman nails, Roman soldiers who put him there. So do not go down that pathway, even if... Jewish people you know don't respond positively toward Jesus. If judgment is going to come, it comes through God's hand, not yours, okay? But second of all, I want to say this. What's happening here is a historically brutal conquest. The people of Jerusalem and Judea will be killed and will be thrown and taken as captive and triumphed into. Some will be displayed in, in Rome. I've got a picture here of, on, the, on the left. It's called Titus's Ark, and it was built by Titus when he became emperor. And it was to commemorate his capture of the Jews parading through Jerusalem. As you can see on the right or your left, a menorah out of the temple. So it was, it was a public display of Rome has conquered the Jews, if you will. And think about this. The first Christians were Jews. The first Christians were Jews, okay? And so think about how this would impact them emotionally. This was their original place of worship this was their capital city, I think we as Americans here, we would be just as devastated if we knew that like Washington D.C. was decimated and they took like the Constitution of the United States and took it back to a different country and paraded it around as a, a trophy of war. That's how we would feel. So this is This is what Jesus is preparing his disciples for. But also saying, look, the kingdom of God is not wrapped up in this. It's wrapped up in what I'm doing. What I'm doing. And so, with that, they need to be ready for the destruction of the temple, the the desolation of Jerusalem. But they also need to be ready... For a new era of God's work. A new era of God's work. I cut off the end of verse 24 on purpose. Jerusalem will be transformed by the Gentiles, listen to this, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Yes, the Jews are disciplined at the hand of the Gentiles, but it's a new era of salvation. God's salvation is not exclusively now focused on the Jewish people. It comes to the whole world. It's the fulfillment of what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis uh, 12.3. That through your seed all nations will be blessed. A blessing that is a new covenant found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That gives an opportunity for all people to become the sons and the daughters of the living God through the blood and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be God's people. The Apostle Paul explains it like this in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, picking up in verse 25. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. The good news goes to the nations. My daughter Bailey called me this week and told me that because of some medical stuff, she had done some DNA work. And she said, and I submitted this, I think, to... Uh, Ancestry.com or whoever, I don't remember what it was. But she says, Dad, you know, I I looked at this and I found out that I am, and I'm not sure whether this comes from Carrie or or my side, but uh, I am 0.2% Ashkenazi Jewish. I said, okay, 0.2%, huh? You know, and I'm just kind of, I I mean, if you look at the rest of our our DNA, it's all Northern European and all that stuff. But 0.2% of Ashkenazi Zoo. Of course, we're also 0.5% Southern Asian, you know, somewhere in India. So take that for what it's worth, okay? But here's the point. The gospel doesn't come to you because of who, what your DNA says. It comes to you because God has reached out and it's a time of the Gentiles. But the gospel comes to all men and women. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And it takes the whole book of, of Acts, actually, to kind of flesh that out for what that means to Jewish believers. But that, Jewish, that time is going to come to an end. And we're not sure exactly when that is. But here's something I want you to see here. And it's, it's really interesting. Because as you look at, as you look at this prophecy, what Jesus says in chapter 21, there are two things coming, coming together, right? There's what's going to happen right here in the first century. And then there's this, of what's going to happen until Jesus comes back. And we're right here now in the this. Okay? So if you look at what Jesus has predicted in the first century, False teachers, false Christs, you know, war and rebellion, natural disasters, persecution of Christians, destruction of the temple. Um, you know, that all comes to being. That all plays out. But if you take a look at what is going to take place today, you could almost match those one for one. You could check the same list. Except this. We don't have a physical temple anymore right now, in Jerusalem. But you know what is interesting? That city of Jerusalem that was destroyed, it's back in Jewish hands since 1967. And you know what else? It seems that there are plans to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? So within this, within this prophecy okay, there might be a double fulfillment. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't mention a temple being rebuilt in this particular passage, but there are other passages that seem to allude to this. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 4, it talks about this man of lawlessness who enters the temple and sets himself up as God. How could that take place if there is no temple? Now, some people, there, there's debate about this, okay? Some people say, well, that was, that's what was happening when you know, Caesar insisted that things be sacrificed to him in the temple. Yeah, maybe. But maybe there's a temple that's going to be rebuilt, and this thing is going to be fulfilled before Jesus returns as some world leader, some antichrist, some man of lawlessness will try and set himself up in the temple as God. I'll tell you, I'm not going to unpack that today because that takes us down a whole other rabbit trail. But I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes on on Israel. Keep your eyes on what God is doing in Israel because he's doing something there, whether we know that or not. But Jesus says, don't just keep your eyes on the nations, but be ready for natural upheaval and national unrest. Natural upheaval and national unrest. Pick it up at verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now other places where this type of thing is mentioned in the Scripture, from the Old Testament, look at Joel chapter 2, verse 31, where Joel talks about the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great dreadful day of the Lord. From Revelation chapter uh, 8, verse 11, there's this star that seems to fall from heaven called Wormwood that pollutes or embitters a third of the world's water systems. And then in the next verse in chapter 8, it talks about one-third of the sun is struck, one-third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of the sky is darkened. Okay, that sounds like a movie, doesn't it? And I'm not going to speculate about asteroids or black holes or... Uh, Ozone deterioration or global warming or what have you, okay? But here's what we need to hold on to. People are noticing in the sky that something is happening. Something that is different. Something that is not normal. And it causes them to panic. It causes them to feel anxiety. It causes them to feel anguish on a national level. I don't know what the United States, if the United States is around for that, would do. Maybe we put NASA on, 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 uh, on alert, or the Space Force, I don't know. But also personal, on a personal level. People are going to faint. Their, their uh, <laughs> mental health will be rattled because they are looking to the creation and the cosmos instead of the creator they are looking to the creation and the cosmos instead of the creator listen to what the what uh, the prophet isaiah said in his time and this is really in relation really to the people that were around him but in, in verse 19 of that chapter eight, he talks about people looking to mediums, looking to the dead, looking to nature. And then in verse 32 he says, "They will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness, because they are looking to creation and the cosmos as the savior. And they have denied the Creator, or they've dismissed Him. But because they're looking to creation, they're despondent. Because they're fearful that nature is going to consume them. is going to swallow them alive. Or perhaps it's the fear that the one they've denied for all this time they'll have to come to face to face with. And while the people of this world look to the earth, Their despondent believers look to Jesus. So be ready for the Son of Man to return. Verse 27. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. I think part of it is because it it gave him some wiggle room because a few people in the Old Testament were called the Son of Man, Ezekiel. But also in Daniel chapter 7. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing to, especially in this mention. I'm just going to read it to you, verses 13 and 14. This is Daniel talking. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every tongue worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, God in this Son of Man, through his Messiah, is coming to judge the earth and set up his kingdom. And this is causing anxiety for people of the earth, for people who've denied its creator. But for believers, it causes us to lift our head, lift our head in hope. Look at verse 28. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Because your redemption is drawing near. And there are many reasons to be excited about the return of the Son of Man. That means that if there's persecution, that's going to end. If there's injustice, that's going to end. And then there's just the brokenness of this life. That's going to end. A vindication. Yeah, we're not crazy for following Jesus. And death is defeated. The resurrection. And just the relief after persevering under the hardship of this life and maybe even persecution. Lift up your heads. There's no fear. No fear. For the judge, for those of us who are in Christ has taken the judgment upon himself. And he has redeemed us. He has bought us back to himself to make us his own. And we can look forward, forward to enjoying him, enjoying his favor, and knowing him as we are fully known, as the end of First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. You know, back in the 80s, I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s, the group REM had a song called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. It was kind of a poke in the eye, I think, against Christianity. But when Jesus returns, it will be the end of the world as we know it. And those of us who are in Christ, we will feel fine. We'll be just fine. So Jesus gives us perspective from a parable. Verse 29. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you that this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, here's the truth of the matter. I think every generation of believers since Jesus has left this earth had reason, saw signs that he was coming back soon. I mean, think about even the the generation who went through World War II. I'm certainly going, Jesus must be coming back soon. I mean, just look at, look at all that's going on. Look at all this commotion. And I don't think uh, it's on the cosmic scale what we saw in verses 25 and 26 as far as things happening in the sky, but I think God in his wisdom has kept things general enough for us to go, is, is today, that, is it, are we living in the end times? To keep the church ready. To keep the church ready for his return. And what I'm going to tell you is, we're going to know. We're going to know. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be so obvious to those who are really actually looking and watching. So don't, don't be concerned that you're gonna miss it, because I think Jesus is saying it's gonna be obvious. And he says, that generation, they're gonna see it. But then what Jesus says is this He assures and admonishes us that what He is saying is true, it's gonna happen, and that this earth is not the place for investing in eternity. Look at verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I'm going to say it again. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Aside from Jesus trying to wean us from investing in this earth, Think about the weight of that statement. My words will never pass away. You're either crazy, you're a deceiver, or you are God in the flesh saying this. Think of the authority that Jesus took in making that statement. And compare it to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God, the word of the Lord, will stand forever. Jesus is assuming deity. The word of God that calls things into existence as it did in Genesis 1. The word of God that never fails. To accomplish its purpose. The word of God that is always faithful to come true. And is always true. And the word of God as Jesus is saying. That is far beyond the current heaven and earth. It's going to last longer. Let me ask you the question though. When Jesus says this. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. How do, you, how do you receive that? Are you excited about that? Are you excited about the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm coming back? Or are you kind of uh, skeptical? Or cynical? Because here's the, here's the truth, okay? It's been more than 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven, right? We're still waiting And it's easy to doubt, it's easy to become discouraged, it's easy to become depressed, especially in this COVID season, and it's easy to become distracted. And maybe even a bit cynical. So be on your guard against a lack of watchfulness. Be on your guard against a lack of watchfulness. This is what Jesus is saying, and this is is probably the main message to us, so listen closely, please. Jesus wants to say something to you and to me. Be careful, or your hearts will become weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you like a sudden trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. Of man. Jesus says, be on guard. That your hearts might not be weighed down. A heart being weighed down, that has to do with the decline of your heart towards someone or something. In this case, it's Jesus and his kingdom. Don't get caught up in, as the NIV translates this version, carousing. It's earlier translated as dissipation. In the Greek, it's a drunken nausea. It's literally a hangover. Are you viewing life with just kind of a hangover, especially in light of Jesus' return? Or drunkenness, an intoxication? That's why you're not seeing things in your right mind, but you're doing something to maybe bring more life out of life that you feel like is in the doldrums. Or, on the other hand, to numb the pain of your life, your hurt, your disappointment, what have you. And, folks, let's not just limit that to alcohol or drug abuse, it could be food, it could be sex addiction. It could be adrenaline addiction. Whatever you're doing to try and breathe life into your own life because life hurts too much or life is too boring. Are you being dulled and insensitive to what God wants to be showing you? And then last, all the anxieties of this life. A distraction that consumes the point where you can't see the good that God has given you or that the good that is coming. Anxious about this life. And you know what the fact of the matter is, is that the things we're anxious about, nine times out of ten, we can't do anything about them. We're anxious about our kids, what they're doing. Sometimes we think we can do something about that and Oftentimes we can't. Maybe you were anxious this weekend about the impeachment trial. What could you do about that? Nothing. You can't control it. But sometimes I think when we think, when we worry about something enough, we can control it. But here's the truth. It robs us. It robs us of living for His kingdom. And our fear focuses on the wrong kingdom. And it can reduce us. Can reduce us to being disciples in name only. Disciples in name only. A Dino. Jesus warns us earnestly: "Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down." Has that happened to you? especially in this COVID season. And folks, I am not throwing mud here. I'm just asking the question for you to answer honestly. Are your hearts weighed down? I know you know the Sunday school answer. We should be excited about Jesus returning. But are you really? Are you weighed down? Are you distracted? Are you depressed? Is his return far from your thoughts? Is it far from your heart? Is it far from both? And Jesus says, that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. Does the return of Jesus seem like a closing of a trap? Like, oh darn, I, I, didn't get to ex- I didn't get to experience X, Y, or Z in this life. Man, did I get ripped off. Do you anticipate it with excitement? And folks, I'm going to tell you what. I'm not here to judge you. I have to look at my own heart. But I am asking you to be honest with yourself. Jesus is graciously warning us. He's urging us to look to him and to call upon him. Look at verse 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen. Pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen because we can't have our hearts weighed down. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And He calls us to pray because we can't do it in our own flesh. It has to happen with His Holy Spirit within us, strengthening us. But let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with Him. Do we look forward to To his return. Are we preparing for his return? And you know what? If the answer is no, then we can repent and we can confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. Change me. I've, I've been distracted. I've been discouraged. But help me get my eyes fixed on you. The author and perfecter of my faith. The lover of my soul the one who's my bridegroom and comes for me. Help me to be excited about that. Jesus' invitation to come unto him, all who are weary and heavy laden, he will give you rest. That's what he invites us into. That's what he invites us into. But be honest with him. Because that day is coming. Jesus says in verse 35, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. It's coming for everybody. It won't be in secret. It won't be in some little corner for only a few uh, you know, chosen people. Everyone will know it. In fact, Jesus says earlier in Luke chapter 7, 17, verse 24, it's going to be like lightning in the sky. It's going to light up the whole sky. So if anyone ever tells you Jesus is here and I know it and you don't, don't believe them because Scripture says Jesus has told us everyone's going to know. It's going to come on everyone in the earth. But here's the question. Will you be able to stand before the Son of Man? Because you will put your faith in what he has done. In his life, death, and resurrection. Because that's where your hope is. Not in the things of this earth. Will you be able to stand before him? Is he your focus? Don't let your hearts be weighed down by this world. Jesus is saying, get ready. Be ready. Because life will be hard. You might even be persecuted for my sake. Jesus says, Be ready because I'm weaning you from this earth. Because our flesh naturally wants to lay down roots here. But be ready and look forward to my return. Here's my, here's my point of application for you to take home today. If in looking forward to Jesus coming ret- again, how's that going to change your life? If I'm looking forward to Jesus' return, how is that going to change your life? So here's the the sentence I want you to complete. I look forward to Jesus returning, therefore I will blank. That's not for me to determine. That's for you going in God's Word and the Holy Spirit to determine. I am looking forward to Jesus returning, therefore I will blank. What is that? Are you living like you're looking forward to his return? That's for you and God to to work out at home. But Jesus is saying, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. So last thing I want to do, just to close this up as as a nice bookend, is read the last two verses here, verse 37 and 38 of this chapter. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night in the city on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So this is Jesus' public ministry coming to an end in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke. These are the last days before Jesus goes to the cross. And this is an example of the teaching that Jesus lays down at the temple in his public teaching. But in the big picture of what just took place in the whole gospel of Luke, it bookends Jesus' teaching ministry. Because Jesus' teaching ministry started with the fulfillment of the word of God. This is what we read in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim excuse me, freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And then he ends it like this. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus launches his ministry. Now Jesus is concluding his public ministry. And it ends... With him fulfilling God's word, proclaiming God's word because he is God in the flesh. Proclaiming, in verse 22, for this time, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment that all has been written. Proclaiming that he is the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory and declaring that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Declaring this with authority. And we, who are now 2,000 years away from this, we can have confidence because we've seen the fulfillment of it. But even more so, we can have confidence because of the one who spoke it. And that's where I want our hearts to be. Get ready. Let me pray, and then the worship team will come and close us here. Lord Jesus, this is your word to us. And Lord, if I have muddied the waters, I pray you'll bring clarity. But again, you have called us to be ready. And we don't know the day and the hour, but we know that when it comes, we will see it. It'll be obvious. So give us grace, Lord, to be watchful, but give us grace also not to be weighed down with the things of earth. It's real easy for that to happen. And if that has happened to us, Lord, would you give us grace to confess, give us grace to repent, and we thank you for your faithfulness within that. That if we confess our sin, you are faithful, you are just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But Lord, we want to look forward to your return. We want to be found faithful, and we want to be found living toward your kingdom. So I pray that you would help us to answer that question I look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will help us to answer that question question, and then live it out. We want to be found looking forward to your return, Lord. Lord Jesus, our great Savior, lover of our souls, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.